It holds. It holds. It holds. Surrounds me and protects. It lifts me from the depths. Your love. Your never-ending love. It leads me on. It always will remain. Through every fear and change. Your love. Your never-ending love. Let's tell them to get your love. It conquers all, it sets me free, it breaks the power of the enemy, it cancels all of my sins. Oh, the power of your love, the power of your love, it's flooding now, my soul with joy.
thank you for your grace. Is your grace. We thank you for your amazing grace. Your amazing grace. Your grace. We thank you for your grace. Your peace. Thank you for your peace. Your peace. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jill. I'm one of the Community Life Pastors here at Christian Assembly, and it's great to be with you. If you are new or visiting, maybe this is your first time, maybe a friend invited you, we are so glad that you are with us and joining us this weekend. We have a connection card in your seat back. You can fill that out and let us know that you're new and then drop that in the offering when it comes around in just a moment, and one of our pastors would love to follow up with you. We also have a new people's table out in the lobby with some friendly volunteers who would love to give you a free welcome gift just to say welcome so be sure to stop by our table in the lobby after service and then as always we want to say a very special welcome to all those who are joining us online and so if that's you if you're with us online welcome and we're glad that you're with us we'll have two announcements for us today first we have a human trafficking awareness event coming up where you'll have an opportunity to learn about the justice issue of human trafficking and how we can fight against it as the church so if you attend that event you're going to have an opportunity to hear from a survivor and leader from an organization called treasures which is an administrative victims of sex trafficking and you'll also have an opportunity to assemble some bags that will be given out as part of street outreaches Lunch will be provided and you can register for the event on our website and then we also want to let you know that we are currently hiring and so we are looking for a three four five director to serve with our kids church ministry and three four five is our third fourth and fifth grade ministry here at christian assembly so if you're interested to apply applicants should have a passion for jesus a love for the local church and a heart for kids and for discipling kids so if that's you or if that's someone that you know you can find the job description and more information about how to apply on our website. Well, now is the time in our service where we have the opportunity to continue in our worship through the giving of tithes and offerings. And as we do that, let me read to us what God's Word says in Deuteronomy 8.18. It says, remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so as we give back to God, maybe may we be reminded that any penny, any dollar, anything good we have is because of our good God who has given it to us. In just a moment, we will pass the offering bags. You can also give online through our Christian Assembly LA app or on our website. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for your ongoing giving and generosity. Would you join me as we pray? God, thank you so much for your goodness and your generosity. God, thank you for giving us the ability to produce wealth. And so, God, for every, for every good gift you've given us, we just thank you. And we say thank you so much for your generosity, Lord. Help us to be generous back to you and to your kingdom purposes, Lord. Bless us and encourage us throughout the rest of the service, Lord. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. The ushers can come As forward. Well. well, let me add my welcome to those that you have already received. If you're a visitor guest, my name is Tom. What an honor and privilege to have you here with us. And, of course, to my CA family. Great to be with you. want to welcome those of you who are online, whether you're part of the CA family and you're regularly with us online, maybe you're brand new 
and you found us on YouTube or whatever other social media outlet, I'm just glad that you're with us and we're honored that you made this time to be with us. Well, we are in a series entitled Batteries Not Included where we're looking at the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus on the topic of prayer. And as part of this, each week we're opening up by just hearing a little bit from someone within the life of our congregation about their own life of prayer. And the hope is that as we listen to them, we might pick up a tip or a practical tool or maybe even catch a bit of the heart of God as they share about their own prayer life that we can incorporate into our prayer life as well. So would you take a look at the side screens? What has helped me the most is praying the word back to God. Remembering who I am in him and who he is. Once I received Christ, that he's my daddy, my Apple father, that makes me an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. So I can ask without asking a mist. So I remember who I am in him. For example, I've been dealing with anxiety lately. So I go straight to the scripture that says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that I'm to let my request be made known unto God. And after that, I should expect the peace of God that will pass all understanding. So I remind him that he said it in his word and I anticipate the answer. I believe in agreement prayer, especially for family members. So my husband and I, every night after dinner, uh, we have family worship where we read, uh, we sing, we read the Bible, and we pray together the things that are on our mind. And in the morning when we get up, after we make the bed, we pray together for the day. And at night, before we go to sleep, we pray together. So we believe that we will come together in agreement. So that's for our family, but with others too. We, we believe in getting together with others and sharing prayer requests and praying together. Because in agreement, there's more power. So that's what we do for prayers. Isn't it amazing to hear from both Ernestine as well as Grace and I mean, I can't even feel in my own heart, my own mind, my own soul, a sense of like, I want to pray like those two women talked about praying, right? And so God, would you help us do that? Well, the year is 2016 in Vancouver, Washington, and the setting is a Dutch Brothers coffee stand. How many of you have ever had Dutch Brothers coffee, right? Pretty good, right? Pretty good. Uh, sometimes a cup of coffee is what someone needs just to make it through the day, but sometimes a little small drive through coffee stand is a place where the kingdom of God comes and, and breaks into the hardest of times through the power of prayer. Let me explain. Here's the situation. The woman pulls up to get a cup of coffee. True story. The baristas at the Dutch Brothers coffee stand notice that she is uh, becoming uh, emotional. She's tearing up. And They ask her, are you okay? And she ends up kind of spilling out of her the story that this 37-year-old woman, her husband had died the evening prior. Previous evening, her husband had died, and 
and the workers who are there, the barista who is there, he, he knows that his best words aren't going to be good enough for what this woman is facing. And he knows that he needs a source of power that is greater than what he can kind of self-provide in order to make a difference in this moment. And so he just asked her, he offered, would it be okay if I prayed for you? To which she agrees. And the barista, in fact, all the baristas stop everything for several minutes. And the driver behind them noticed that this is going on, that something was happening. And so she snapped a picture. So take a look at the picture that will come up. This is the picture. They're literally spilling out of the drive through window to be able to pray for this woman. That picture has now gone viral. Hundreds of thousands of shares. Millions of people have seen it. The Dutch brothers baristas invited the woman who lost her husband to come back as often as she would like for prayer or coffee, whatever she needed. (laughs) You know, even if you don't work in a coffee stand, this story reminds us that there are opportunities around us every day to spread the love of God if we will keep our eyes open and be quick to rely on prayer. We've been in this part of our series. We've been looking at Jesus' longest recorded prayer. And we come to the part where he prays for the power of the message that comes through your life and through my life if you've come to place your faith in his life. We're going to consider that. But before we do, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that your word allows us to learn how to pray, and how to relate to you, that we don't have to guess, that you're not a distant father, you're not a neglectful father. So Lord, whether it's at a coffee stand or whether it's in a a church gathering, whether it's online, whether it's in person, we come to you and we ask, would you speak to us through your word? Remind us of the power source we have to come and plug into you by your word and spirit, through prayer, that we might live the life you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On the way in, hopefully you got a bulletin. If you did, you can flip it open to this little center section. You'll see the teaching notes that are there that you can fill out throughout our time together, and you'll see also uh, God's words listed there for you. Well, we've been saying in this part of our series that you can learn a lot about someone by listening in on their prayers. And Jesus allows us to listen in on his longest recorded prayer, and it teaches us a lot about who Jesus is. It teaches us a lot about prayer, how to pray, what to pray. It teaches us a lot about what Jesus prays for those who would ever come to believe in him through the message of the gospel. This week, we do come to the part of the prayer circle that originally Jesus prayed for himself, and then after that, he prayed for the original disciples who were alive 2,000 years ago when he originally said this prayer. But now he stretches to a third circle of people, to all those who will ever believe in him. And that includes you and me if you have come to believe in him. He prays for us in this portion of the prayer. We pick it up in John 17, 17. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, sanctify them 
in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. For their sake I sanctify myself, so they may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their message, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what I want to do is I want to pull out four truths from Jesus' prayer that will empower your life, not just your prayer life. What we've been talking about in this series is that God wants you to have a life that is created and sustained and renewed in prayer. It's not just a strong prayer life that you're going for, although that's great to have. It's to have a strong life that is rooted in prayer. So the first thing we see is this, that in Christ, you have the message that will change other people's lives and eternities. Now, did you know that by God's grace, seemingly every single weekend, we have people who are spiritually unconvinced who come to be with us, both online as well as in person. And some of you are thinking, yes, because that's me. I'm spiritually unconvinced, and I'm here, so I'm, I'm aware of that. Others of you are thinking, yes, I'm aware of that. I know because I brought my spiritually unconvinced friend or family member or coworker, classmate, who's with me here today. As a church family, we say here at Christian Assembly that God's grace compels us to lead spiritually convinced and unconvinced people to complete commitment to Jesus Christ. Remember years ago, one guy read that in our bulletin, True Story, and he said, when I read it and it said spiritually convinced and then it said and unconvinced, he said, I knew that you wanted me to be here. So if you're spiritually unconvinced, if you're a skeptic, I used to be a skeptic. I used to be spiritually unconvinced. If that's you, I want to say, you're welcome here, and we're glad that you are here. If you are someone who's spiritually convinced, and you invited your unconvinced family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, I want to say, way to go, because God is at work in you and through you through that simple invitation. Now, if you are amongst the spiritually unconvinced, whether you're here in person, there, online, I want to lay all of my cards on the table. My singular goal is to help you become convinced and move towards complete commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, why is that my singular goal? Because I know that Jesus is the truth. And because I know he's good. And because I know that if you come to know him, you will experience his mercy, his grace, and his goodness. You will be locked into his authority and his power to unleash all of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. His words have the power to bear fruit in your life. His word has the power to not return void in your life. And his death on the cross can pay for your sins like they did for mine. And his resurrection and power empowers you to be created anew from the inside out. When he prays and he says, sanctify them in the Greek, if you break the word down, what it means, renew them in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. And yet in sin, in our, our rebellion, our skepticism, all that's happened to us, that image is still there, but it's become distorted, disfigured, almost vandalized. You are like a great piece of art 
that needs to enter into a restoration project, and that can only happen through God, His Word, and prayer. Jesus prays, and He says, I pray for all those who will ever believe in Me through their message. If you're a Christian, let me ask you what I've been asking myself. At the most honest level, what is the message of my life? At the most honest level, what are you most known for in your relational radius? For some of you, many of you, I know that the message of your life is that you point people to Jesus and all that you do and say. And I want to say, well done and way to go. In fact, so far in 2022, we've had 262 people either make a first time a recommitment to Christ who've let us know that, whether they've told us that verbally or whether they've recorded it on a card or whether they've emailed in from online. And so that is happening because so many of you, Christ is shining bright through your life. And you're being bold and courageous and saying to your friends, family members, and neighbors, hey, come be with me. Or better yet, let me just tell you about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Maybe others of you, at the most honest level, you want Jesus to be the message of your life, but maybe some other things have clouded the picture for those that are around you. You want Christ to be shining out, but you have these other things that that are muddying up the picture for some of them. And if that's you, let me ask the question I've been asking myself. I've been saying, Tom, where and how can you clarify for those around you that your singular desire is that they would come to know Jesus Christ? That the thing that you most want people to know about you, Tom, is you want them to know the goodness and the power of Jesus in your life and the difference he can make in their life and their eternity too, no matter what they might be facing. Now, if you're feeling especially gutsy and especially confident and especially courageous and especially secure, I want to challenge you this week to ask some people in your relational radius, when you think about me, what would you say the message of my life is? What, what would you say in one sentence if you had to sum up what you think the message of my life is? What would that be? See if what they know you for is what you want to be known for. The second thing we see is this. In Christ, you have every reason to expect that people will come to Christ through you. Look at Jesus' prayer. He expects, he, he really assumes, really, that the mission will not end with the original disciples. He expects that people who have not yet come to believe will come to believe through the message of his followers as they share the good news about Jesus. He expects that people who are not even yet born will come to believe in him. He expects that as his followers go through their lives, that they will encounter some other people who will say yes to Jesus because of their message through their life. And you know what? He's exactly right. How do I know that? Here's how I know that. My guess would be, see if I'm wrong on either one of these points. My guess would be that none of us were alive 2,000 years ago. That would be my first guess, and I think I'm, I'm right on that one. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus prays this prayer, and yet here we are on the other side of the planet 
2,000 years later, and yet many of us have come to believe in Him. We've come to believe in Him through the message of one of His followers, maybe even more than one of His followers. It might be the message of one of His followers coming uh, to us through God's written Word. You know, maybe it's... uh, you know, some of the writings of Paul, or maybe it's some of the writings of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biographies of Jesus being told, or, or uh, you know, it might be some of the other epistles that are written, or the book of Revelation that we just worked our way through. So it might be that we've come through that. It might be that we've come through someone else who is a family member, a friend, a, a coach, a teacher, a, a client, a coworker, a classmate that is a follower of Jesus that helped us come to know Jesus. There's an expectation, and I want you to raise your expectation. If you are in Christ, meaning you've placed your faith in Him, I want your expectation to begin to align with Jesus's expectation that if you are prayerful, that means you not only can, but you will lead people to Christ. And not only that, but the people that you lead to Christ, and then you help them grow in Christ, will then lead other people to Christ that you may never meet. Because that's exactly what Jesus is praying for. That's exactly what Jesus is expecting. And his prayers should instruct our prayers. His expectations need to instruct our expectations. He prays and he says, I have sent them into the world. Why has he done that? Well, because the harvest is plentiful. In fact, on another occasion... Jesus saw the crowds of people, and they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We read about it in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. I don't like that part. I wish it said, I'm sending you out as wolves in the midst of lambs. That's what I wish it said, but that's not actually what it says. You know, it's a, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know why it's dangerous? Because if you pray that prayer, if you genuinely pray that prayer, you will probably be the person that he sends. Because right after he instructs his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Right after that, he calls them and he says, I'm giving you authority, now go out into these villages. Are you willing to pray a prayer? God, send out laborers for the harvest, knowing that you might be the one that he sends out. Jesus says, hey, disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Disciples check, got it, prayed. And he says, great, now that you've done that, You have everything you need. Go. I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. If you pray that prayer, be be prepared. Or maybe a better way to say it is to say, God, I need you to prepare me. To send me out to wherever you want me to go. I don't really like the part about being sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves, right? Like nobody really likes that part. The other day I was talking with someone who's a believer and they referenced in our conversation 
Jesus having compassion on the crowds of people, harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And they said, that's me, I'm harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And I know this person very well, and I'm, I'm close friends with them. And all I can describe it as is like something raised up in me. Now, I've been walking with Christ long enough that I know this wasn't self-generated, and it, but it just kind of like a fire in my bones kind of raised up out of me, and I cut them off in mid-sentence because they said, well, that's me. I'm harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And I said, I clapped my hands. I said, no, that's not you. You might feel harassed like right now, but you are not helpless. For God has said in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Has not Jesus promised us that if you are in Christ, that we will have the Holy Spirit, who is also called the Helper? Yes, you might be facing challenges, but no, you are not helpless because you have the ever-present helper of God's Spirit available to you. Yes, you are a sheep, but no, you are not without a shepherd because you, I knew this person well, you are in Christ. Has not Jesus said, I am the good shepherd? He might send us out like lambs amongst the wolves, but we are lambs with a shepherd who can handle the wolves. And even if the wolves slay us, don't we follow the lamb who was slain and rose again? Doesn't God's word say, though a righteous person falls seven times, yet they will still get up again? And every time we get back up, isn't that a credit to the power of the resurrection at work in us who are believers who are in Christ? Doesn't God's word say that no weapon formed against me shall prosper? Doesn't God's word say that soon he will crush Satan underneath your feet? Now, I went on a little bit longer, and let's just say that the time that God's word was done with us, they looked at me, and their faith was rising, and they said, you know what? You're right. And I said, I'll take the encouragement, but I'm passing the glory on to God because I'm only right because I know God's word and I know God is right. And I know God wants you to have God's word in you in such a way that you say, I once was harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And I still might be harassed, but I'm not helpless because I know the helper. And I'm still a sheep, but I know the good shepherd. And so now, to my friends, to my family, to those of you online, to those who are spiritually unconvinced, let me just tell you that you can have a helper and you can have a shepherd who comes in the midst of the everyday rough and tumble world that we live in. If you are in Christ, you can relate you don't have to pretend like you're not harassed. You don't have to pretend like you're not a sheep. You don't have to pretend. You can be authentic. You can say, ah, oh, things are stressful. Things are challenging. I don't know how this will work out. I feel a little anxious right now. But then you remember. I feel anxious, but I remember God's word. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. Present your request to him with prayers of thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. And if you do this, he will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And you will have a peace that surpasses understanding. That is available to you if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, it's not available to you. 
Because you wouldn't pray. Because you don't believe in God. Because you don't believe in Jesus. So some things are only available to us in Christ. The good news is that you can share with others who don't yet know that, but wish there was a helper. But wish there was a shepherd. But wish there was a peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus' prayer expects that people can and will come to believe in him through you if you are one of his followers. If Jesus prayed it and believed it, we need to pray it and expect it as well. The third thing we see is this, is that in Christ, the unity of your relationships with other believers are to reflect the power of your message. Jesus prays for all those who overbelieve in him in verse 21, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The greatest sign that the Father has sent the Son is when Christians are one. That's the greatest sign. Notice he doesn't say, they will know that the Father has sent me once they out-argue somebody in the comment sections of a social media post. It doesn't say that. That's not what it says. It says, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me. That they may become completely one. So not just a little bit one, not just sometimes one, completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. All right, so what do we see here? What we see is that Christians don't have to agree about everything, but we do have to love one another through everything. You can be right about your argument and wrong about your love. You can win the argument with a fellow brother or sister in Christ and wrong about the love with which you spoke. Sometimes people will say to me, well, if I don't agree with the person on everything, I can't really love them. I actually think it's the opposite. I actually think the first opportunity I have to love someone is when they do something that irritates me or annoys me or frustrates me. That's when I get to be patient and kind and gentle. If they don't irritate me, frustrate, or annoy me, then I don't have to be patient because they haven't done anything that calls forth patience from me. Growing up in Pittsburgh, and I would guess this is probably true where you grew up as well, there were homes in my neighborhood where I grew up that were known for being homes where they loved one another. These families were not perfect, but they were known for loving one another. They worked through their conflicts quickly. They forgave one another. Um, They were clearly for one another. They were encouraging one another. They were uplifting one another. When one of them was hurting, they all shared in the grief and comforted that one. When one of them had something good happen, they all shared in the joy and they were excited. And here's what I noticed about those homes. All the kids in the neighborhood wanted to hang out in those homes. They all wanted to be in those homes. 
And then there were other homes that it was clear that they did not love one another. And when you stepped into that home, it was filled with loud arguments or awkward silence. No one wanted to be in those homes. Not even the people who were born into those homes. They didn't want to be in those homes. They wanted to go to the other homes. They wanted to hang out in the other homes. Jesus prays that his followers would be like the first home, not the second home. If we pause to reflect on the church's record of disunity, we can easily see how far we have fallen short of Jesus' requirements. If you're a Christian, let me ask you, what can you do to pray for and actively build up the unity of the church? You can pray for other Christians, of course. Avoid gossip. Build one another's up. Work together in humility. Give your time and money to our shared common mission. Exalt Christ. Refuse to get sidetracked over arguing over divisive matters. Maybe God might bring something to mind for you where you might need to confess or repent of not loving a brother or sister in Christ well. Or maybe you don't have a specific thing that you did that created a division, but you realize that you could take a more active role in building up others in Christ. The unity that Christ is praying for only comes about through reciprocal love. That's how it happens. And those in the world, they need to not only hear of the reconciling work of God through Christ, they need to see it embodied in how Christians love one another. In a world where sin and evil make the darkness of division the norm, humble unity rooted in the goodness of the gospel is a warm and shining light in the neighborhood to which people come and they're drawn into it, wondering, is it possible that this could be true? The fourth and final thing we see is this. In Christ, you can have an ever-growing experience of the Father's love for you. Jesus concludes the prayer this way, Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me, speaking of the original disciples and all those who would ever then come to know him through them. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, once said it this way. He said, quote, It could be that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is the poverty of our own experience. Let me ask you, if you're a Christian, have you experienced God the Father's love for you recently? Jesus said, I've made your name known to them, and I will make it known. In the Bible, names matter. They still matter today, right? I mean, you have meet new parents, and they, they think a lot. They fret, you know, they, they may pray about. They, they study, like, what does this name mean? What does that name mean? Whatever they're trying to figure out. They, they maybe even look into the lineage of their family to figure out different names. Like, names matter. And that was true in the Bible time as well. A name in Scripture, it spoke to your character. It spoke to your nature. It spoke of who you are. So when Jesus says that he has made the Father's name known, he's speaking about the character and the nature of God the Father. And when he says that he's made it known and will make it known, both 
past tense as well as future tense, it means that if you've experienced the Father's love for you, Christ can help you continue to experience it even more. It's not a one-time dose that you get. Oh, I experienced the Father's love one time. I, I can't ask for it a second time. The word to know, it doesn't just mean intellectually to know. It means also a sense of experiencing it. That statement of the goal means that it's an ever-increasing understanding of the love of the Father for the Son, an ever-fuller grasp of the wonder that the love is extended to believers also, an ever-more-responsive love on our part towards the Father, creating an ever-more-profoundly-deepening fellowship in, with the Father and the Son by His Word and through His Spirit. If you stop just for a moment to think about it, I mean, if you're a Christian, sometimes it's hard for us to remember what it was like before we came to believe. If you stop to think about it, it is mind-blowing, soul-healing, security-creating stuff that the love with which God the Father loves Jesus is the love with which He loves you. If you're like me, you probably think, well, I think it's pretty easy for me to believe that God the Father loves Jesus. That's a pretty easy thing for me to believe. It's a scandalous thing for me to believe that He loves me with the same love that He loves Jesus. And not only that, but that Christ Himself would be in me. That, that's radical stuff. I know many of us have experienced and continue to experience the Father's love. You know that every good gift you have comes from our Father who is in heaven. You know that Jesus and the Father are one so that the Father's love is shown to you through Christ and His Holy Spirit. But maybe some of you, maybe you have some obstacles in your life to experience that love. I have three children. And sometimes they have self-doubts insecurities, or even times when they have directly disobeyed me, that makes them question, Dad, do you love me? Or Dad, do you still love me even now, even after what I've done or said, even after I knew directly that you told me not to do or say that, do you still love me? Now here's what I know. I would lay my life down in a millisecond for any of my children. I wouldn't hesitate. And many of you who are parents, you know you do the exact same thing for your children as well. I remember talking with one of my kids when they were younger, and I said that I loved them so much, and I was trying to like, help them understand how much. I said, I love you so much that, that I would die for you. And they looked at me, and they were shocked, and they said, really? I said, Absolutely. So they asked me all sorts of questions of why I would do that. And they couldn't understand it. And I did my best to answer them. But in the end, they were younger at this time. I said to them, listen, you might not right now fully understand my love for you, but I want you to fully trust my love for you. And one day you'll understand it. I want you to trust what I'm telling you is true. Even though I can't intellectually communicate it to you in a way that your six-year-old mind can grasp and understand. One day as you mature, 
you will understand that what I'm saying to you is true. That, that I'm not just blowing smoke, but this is reality. If that's true for me, with my imperfect love for my kids, how much more true is it for us with our Heavenly Father, with His perfect love for us? We say to those that we love, I would lay my life down for you. Jesus says to us, I did lay down my life for you. Why? Jesus, because of my love for you. Because of the love of the Father in me given for you. Because the Father's love for you. So that your sins would be forgiven. So that you could be one with me and the Father. So that the enemy would be defeated. So that you could be one with others as well with the other followers who are going to become your brothers and sisters and me, so that the message of your life would be forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with the Father and with one another through me, so that your life would be marked by my character and my presence, so that you would experience the joy of the message of your life helping bring others to come to believe in me, so that you would be one of the laborers that I send you out wherever you might go to help the harvest of others to come to know me, so that the quality of your relationships would point to the power of your message, so that you would both know and keep on knowing and keep on growing in both the knowledge and the love that the Father and I have for you, so that you would be united and protected and joyful and sanctified and sent and fruitful. You know, it's interesting that this part of Jesus' message on the unity of the church was the main subject of Jesus' prayer rather than an exhortation to the disciples. Think about that for a moment. If you reflect on that, oh, Jesus wasn't just preaching this to the disciples. He was praying it to the Father. It might mean, and I think it does mean, that this is something we cannot generate on our own. We must go to the Father and ask Him to do in each one of us what we cannot do apart from Him. Batteries not included. Let's pray. If you're in Christ, what do you want the message of your life to be? Right now, just speak to God about that. Even pray to God and say, God, give me what I need. Make me the type of person that this would be the message of my life, whatever that is for you. If you're in Christ, do you genuinely believe that God will use you? Not just me, not just your friend, not just your family member. That God will use you to bring people to him. Jesus' prayer expected that. The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest right now to send out more laborers. Some of you, maybe for the very first time, you just need to say, here I am, God, send me. Send me to my family. Send me to my neighborhood, to my classmates, to my teammates. Send me to my clients. Send me to my boss. Pray for those who you know who don't know Christ to come to Christ through you. Pray their names. Ask God to use you. You know, you don't, you don't have to work at a Dutch Brothers coffee stand to find an opportunity to be used by God. To invite others into the power of prayer. Through you.
If you're in Christ, pray for the unity of the church, that we would be one with each other. Father, we ask you to forgive us for not always loving one another as you have loved us. We ask your forgiveness and how we've marred your name and the character of who you are by our petty divisions and squabbles. Is there anyone you need to ask forgiveness from to help bring about unity instead of division? Anyone you need to forgive? Is there any way that you can be more active in building up the unity of the fellowship of believers in this city? In Christ, if you're in Christ, I want to invite you to experience a fresh experience of the Father's love for you. It might just begin by you praying and saying, Father, thank you that everything I have is a gift from you. Thank you that you don't change like shifting shadows. I don't have to guess what type of mood you're in. Your love is consistent. It's steadfast. You are faithful. Thank you that you've shown me your love in countless ways, most of all in Christ's life and death and resurrection. Father, help me to know and experience your love even more. Remove any obstacle, break down any barrier, destroy any false argument, heal any wounds so that I might know your love for me. And in so doing, be used by you to share that love with others. And lastly, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that now. Maybe for the very first time, for you to say, I want to come to know you. I want to experience your goodness. God's Word teaches that you were created in the image of God. You were created for a relationship with God. And yet your sin has separated you from Him. Just like my sin separated me from him. And yet God didn't let that be the end of his story. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came freely of his own will, born of a virgin, born into the manger, grew up, became a man who taught us to rightly understand who God is so that we don't have to guess about the nature and character and the love of fathers, of the father for us, the heart of the father for us. And while we were still yet sinners, the Scriptures say Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but Christ died for those who would say, I want your death to apply to me. And as you do that by faith, His life is credited as righteousness on your behalf. Your sin is credited to the cross, as Colossians says. And your record of sin is nailed to the cross, thereby disarming the accusations and condemnations that are against you. The accusations and condemnations that others have made, that the enemy has made, that you have made against you is nailed to the cross, paid for, set free. So that now you can be forgiven of your sin, but not just forgiven of your sin, that now you can be sanctified, you can be renewed in the image of God that you were created in. By His Word, as you get to know His Word, it will renew your mind, it will reshape your soul, His, His Spirit will come into you and create you anew from the inside out. You will be part of the new creation. None of this are you able to do under your own ability by yourself. 
Only this can happen through God and his grace. It is by grace that you have been saved, not by works, so that none might boast. But that as you are saved, as you're renewed into the image of Christ, you begin to desire to know his word and do the good works that he's created you uniquely to do. Good works he's prepared in advance for you before the foundation of the world. And you'll find great joy and great purpose in doing those things. And so right now, I just want to give you the opportunity, whether you're online or in person, for you to say, God, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm placing my faith in him, my hope in him. For some, for the very first time. Others of you, maybe you've wandered, maybe you've drifted. You need to say, I'm coming back to you. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a love for your word. May I be saved by you, Jesus, and be part of your family and live empowered by your spirit in obedience to your word, both this day and all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you made a decision to give your life to Christ for the very first time, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Let me or one of the other pastors know. We would love to get you a new believer's Bible to help you grow in your faith. Your very next step is to be baptized. Same thing for those of you online. If you've made that decision, would you email in? Let us know. We'll send a new believer's Bible to you and help you grow in your faith as well. Jacob, would you lead us?